Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates, your host for this edition of Women and Manufacturing Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S. I also run a global supply chain management consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where I help clients with global supply chain projects and where I also do expert witness work. On these podcasts, we interview accomplished women in manufacturing and ask them to share their experiences. As we look across the broad landscape of manufacturing from the shop floor to the C-suite and the expanse of jobs and careers that support manufacturing, we're actually looking for insights from women leaders in manufacturing. Today, we're going to focus on contract manufacturing with my guest, Noreen King, the founder and CEO of Evolve Manufacturing Technologies in Silicon Valley. She's my guest today. I met Noreen a few years ago after I read an article she wrote about manufacturing in the U.S. and competing in a global environment. In this very scary time, Noreen is an important guest as she runs an FDA-approved manufacturing company that produces medical devices, but I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about Evolve. Welcome, Noreen. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Rosemary. Can you please tell us about Evolve Technologies and your focus on medical devices? Yes. We started 21 years ago now, This actually this week. It's been 21 years. When we first started, we were doing automation for semiconductor wafer handling. After a few years, that's a very chaotic market, so we decided to get into medical devices because it also has a very precise foundation, and it was it was a good learning for us in the semiconductor that we were able to translate into medical. And we applied at that point for our FDA device approval. And so we've been building, we started building ultrasound equipment in uh, 2004. And so ever since, we've been about 80 or 90% medical devices. It has a very special quality system. We only hire people who've come from that industry. And we have about 50 employees engaged in in this, but we're now we're hiring a lot of at least temporary people for sure to build some stuff for the COVID crisis. Wow, that's fantastic. Before we get into all that, though, can you tell us some more about your background in education and how you ended up in contract manufacturing? Yes, I'm from Ireland originally, and my dad was a production supervisor at an American company in Ireland. And I always admired the people in management at that, at his company. And I guess that vision is the only thing I, I saw that was interesting to me. So I'm one of the few people who knew when she was 15 years old that she wanted to do industrial engineering. <laughs> and I, which is extremely, I found very rare. And I wanted to be an operations manager. And so I went to college and I studied industrial. There was only one college in Ireland that taught that. So it was in this very relatively remote place, which was a six-hour bus ride where people used to be smoking on the bus in those days. It was not a comfortable path. (laughs) (laughs) And also engineering was a very big disappointment to me because it was all math. It was just like nine hours of math a day or something like that. Anyway, but I, I struggled through it and it was fine. And I got out and I started to work in manufacturing in Silicon Valley. I, I moved here and I started working in a semiconductor wafer processing company as the manufacturing engineer. 
And the first job they gave me was, we have a new lab. You're going to have to plumb all the places where they test the machines. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything like that. So I had to learn very quickly. And I was lucky. I had really great people that I worked with that taught me a lot of stuff. So anyway, that's really I interesting because I think that's interesting because I think in the U.S. the engineering courses are more focused on practical design and that sort of thing, at least some of the various segments within engineering. But you didn't get that in Ireland, huh? It was more math. No. And... Yeah, it was it was mechanical engineering. And so, you know, we had some labs and stuff. So at that time, it was so early days, really, that they didn't have proper just industrial engineering courses. So mm-hmm. you, the first three years was really just being a mechanical or electrical engineer. And so I discovered I was really bad at electrical engineering. So I did mechanical. <laughs> and so then the last year was devoted to stuff like operations research and these things. But it wasn't uh... just... It was more of a mechanical, really, degree, to be honest, but not practical at all. Like, I didn't know what a 1032 screw was. I had no idea what that was. Or uh-huh. an M3, which is the metric version, We, which is very impractical. It was very academic. So, I, so you I learned, learned on the job, on huh? The floor, on the job, yeah. on the production floor. And I recommend that to everybody. My niece just graduated from Purdue with a mechanical engineering degree. She asked me, should I take a job at one of these consulting firms or should I go work on the floor at GM? And I'm like, of course you have to work on the floor. You don't know anything. (laughs) How could you (laughs) consult? Like it's astounding to me that people would go straight out of school and consult. Anyway, so when I was working, I was finding that in manufacturing, the most difficult part is not building it. It's the materials to supply it in the correct fashion so that you don't run out of parts. And that was always a struggle in any company I worked. So I became very focused on the materials uh, management, buying the materials and designing the MRP system so that it allowed you to have the right materials at the right time and not too much of the wrong thing. Kind of complicated. I think that's what made me pretty successful in this job where we were supporting people who are ramping very quickly. So we knew how to buy the, all the materials, but not to have too much materials. Um, mm-hmm. Because in manufacturing you're missing one little thing, the whole game is off until you get that thing. Yeah, with the COVID virus shutting down most of China for several weeks for the Chinese New Year, and then thereafter they shut down most of the factories. There are lots of shortages because so many companies are very lean in their acquisition of parts. So we're kind of hurting around the world too, even though we're all sort of sequestered at home and manufacturing is relatively low at this particular time, there's still a lot of shortage of parts. In fact, I saw a headline the other day that said, you can't build a car with 99% of the parts. Correct. <laughs> so you, you got one wheel missing or something, you know, you can't build a car. So yeah. Exactly. Problem, are that's you? what lean is. Yeah, that's lean is, is simplifying your supply chain, right? Right. Yeah, lean and just in time and all those similar kind of processes and ideas all are about reducing inventory. So, yeah, if you have a too lean of a supply chain, you can be stuck if there's an interruption, right? Right. Well, you, you can be lean as long as it's right next door. But if it's across the ocean and, you know, you, then you do need to have some excess inventory, right? Yeah. What's unique about manufacturing medical equipment that's different from other kinds of device manufacturing? Well, there's some very, I mean, obviously it's so important that nothing 
that we never injure anybody through one of our errors. That's the number one thing is that it's very high stakes. In other things, it's, you know, someone might lose money, but they won't lose their life. In our case, it's critical. And then in addition to that, you have to be sure that all the people who supply you are supplying the correct materials because sometimes people will substitute a different type of aluminum or substitute a different kind of plastic and that's not what has been approved by the FDA. So in the beginning, when someone launches a product, they go through a huge validation process to say, this is our process, this is how we're going to build it, and we are responsible to make sure that we followed exactly to the T every single one of those processes. And that's very cumbersome because every single part that comes in, we have to get either a certification or we have to verify ourselves that it's to spec. And so that's very cumbersome. I mean, normally when people, when we're trying to move things quickly through our system, customers sometimes don't understand what the holdups are. And for example, whenever things are stuck in our incoming inspection, we inspect them and then we document that it's good. Normally it's being held up in there just because there's a piece of paper missing that's really not that important, but we have to have it and we can't progress the part onto the production floor until we have that part. That kind of discipline is not something that every single company has. A lot of companies are very driven for profit and stuff, and they need to keep everything moving. And so if you don't have that discipline, then you can't build medical equipment. That's what I've learned. For example, we had a regulator to test the pressure of something, and we just it was a final test for something. And we had the regulator on our desk, and it had a label saying it was calibrated, but we didn't have the accompanying documentation from the actual calibration lab, the original, so they wouldn't allow me to even, like my team, wouldn't allow us to use it until we got that piece of paper. You know, that's a little different than other kinds of manufacturing. Yeah, really different, really different, especially when there's pressure to move things along and produce as fast as possible. So, but I guess because there are humans involved in using this equipment, the FDA is very specific about all the parts working together and being appropriate. Right. So I know you're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic and helping to address the dire need for medical supplies. What can you tell us what kind of things you're producing today or what you intend to produce to assist with addressing the virus? Yes. Three of the products that we already have been building for many years are used in testing, developing tests. We work for BD Bioscience, a very large company. They they build a lot of research equipment and that equipment is in, there's a big need for it right now. So we're continuing to stay open so we can build product for them. We also have another product which is used in the ICU for testing people's urine output. And it's being used in the ICUs right now for COVID because they're pumping them with a lot of water and they want to make sure that that water is not collecting on their lungs or heart. And so they have to make sure that it's coming out at the same volume, but it's going in. They're involved in some clinical trials. It's not clinical trials because they've gone through their clinical trials, but they're being adopted for use by many of the ICUs in the country. And it also cuts down on nursing time, which is obviously very precious right now. And then last Sunday, I had a phone call from someone and they need us to build a COVID test kits for people at home. And, you know, I didn't even understand the significance of this until about two days ago when I saw if people test themselves at home, then we don't have to use any masks or gloves or anything like that. So this is going to be a a huge growth thing. So they asked us, can you get to 10,000 kits a day 
which just absolutely seemed impossible. So this morning we've built a thousand, and now we're now we're duplicating the line, and we'll be able to get to ten thousand in the next few days. We just have to wow. hire some people. Yeah. The good thing is right now a lot of people are laid off, and so we have a lot of friends and people like that that we can bring in to train on this. So. Oh, that's great. That's very helpful. So as a contract manufacturer, just in case there are people out there that don't quite understand, you take designs and products that have been developed somewhere else and then you manufacture them. Is that right? Right. Right. So we'll get the blueprint with all the list of parts and then we'll find out who the correct suppliers are and send out parts to be manufactured at all these suppliers and then bring them in and assemble them and test them in our facility. Okay, so you're doing the manufacturing execution part. Do you ever get involved in the design if something, for example, is not very manufacturable? There are issues with it. Do you go back to your customers and go back and forth like that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, We ourselves don't do engineering. We do manufacturing engineering, but we do not do the actual engineering, but we have engineering partners. We're partnered with um, a large research and development engineering team called Triple Ring Technologies and in Newark. They have pretty much every type of discipline in-house. So normally we will be calling them in on these kind of projects. Mm, so that's Newark, really California, nice. right? Newark, yes, California. Yeah. yeah. About three miles from up here in Fremont. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Well, it's terrific that we have all these various services and ride engineers and people collected here in Silicon Valley. It's it's good that we're able to tap into those kind of services. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, you know, what's really interesting is I know most manufacturers, well, most companies, at least within California, and the federal guidelines indicate that most people should stay home, but manufacturers are exempt. So you said that you were coming into the office, I believe, and that you have a production line and you're bringing some people in, but you have others working from home right now? Yeah, most people, all the office staff are working from home, but most people, because we're a very hands-on type of company, most people have to come in once a week or something. I see my HR person just walked in and she's supposed to be off this week, but I think she's hiring a bunch of people for this COVID line, so (laughs) she has to come in. But generally, everyone is either isolated in an office because we have 70,000 square feet. So every person gets about 2,000 square feet to themselves. So everyone's uh-huh. spread out. And because normally we huddle together and we work very closely because information passing is very critical. But right now, we're all getting used to being farther apart. So it's pretty interesting. And even our assembly lines, that was a challenge on this high volume line that I was just describing. We wanted to make sure everyone's at least six feet apart. So we're using about twice as many benches as we normally would have to. Mm-hmm. You have clean room too, right? And filtration systems that yeah. that help filter out particles. Yeah. yeah. I would say that's the safest, definitely the safest part of the building to be in is that, uh-huh. is that. And then we have someone go around every hour and clean all the surfaces that people may touch. And we've also left all our doors open. Normally, all our doors are closed for all kinds of reasons. But right now, we just have them open so people aren't touching them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ah, that's so, good. Good that we live in California where we have a relatively mild climate, too. Yeah, Although it might exactly. rain today. 
Yeah. So I, th- I think, Noreen, it's common knowledge that in California, and particularly in Silicon Valley, it's expensive for manufacturing. And as a result, there are not so many manufacturing sites in, in the valley, in and around the valley. It's a place where things and products are designed, but not necessarily manufactured here. But Evolve continues to thrive here. And is that because of the products or your customers, or do you think it's your unique approach? Well, I think in the products that we build are complicated and not that easy to outsource. And so I think people see a huge advantage in being close to us. And if they were far away, they'd have to send three or four people constantly back and forth to make the product work because these products are not stable. You know, they're not, if they're 10 years old, then that's different. But right now, most products, even in the first two years, have a lot of iterations that have to happen. So being here is huge for people. And also the cost differentiation is not so great because where you save the money, I mean, the components are very expensive. So when I build something, I've got very expensive parts that are often made in the U.S. or Europe. And so if I go to China with that, I'm not saving that much. I'm only saving on the labor. And normally the labor is about 10% of the value of what I ship. So our our labor is about 10%. So you're you're losing more on, on having all these engineers than what you can save on the 10%. Ah, very interesting. So the labor component is important when you're looking at the total cost structure. Right. right? So if, if you have, if you were building products that were saying the cost structure was 90% labor, then it would make more sense to do that in a lower cost labor market. Right? Absolutely. And, and my job is to take the labor out of the part. Out of the like this is uh, so. I was in a panel one day, and the guy goes, "Ah, I don't want to speak for you, Noreen, but I think you make all your money, and the more labor in the part, the better." And I was like, "Well, actually, no, because then they'll go somewhere else." <laughs> so I yeah. need to become as efficient and as lean as I can. Ah, very good. All right. Well, I know that you're very busy because you're building products today to address the coronavirus. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. But thank you so much for joining us today. And if anyone out there is in need of contract manufacturing for medical devices or has a particular coronavirus product that you're interested in having built, please reach out to Noreen. And Noreen, can you give us your contact information? Sure. My email address is Noreen, N-O-R-E-E-N dot King, K-I-N-G, at EvolveMFG.com. MaryFrankGeorge.com. Yeah, and thank you, Rosemary. I think you um, do so much to educate people in a simple way on all of this manufacturing globally and domestically and what the differences are. And I, I really appreciate your efforts. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. So for our audience, you can listen to more podcasts on the Women in Manufacturing website, which is www.womenandmfg.com. So that's W-O-M-E-N-A-N-D-M-F-G.com. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates, R-C-O-A-T-E-S, at reshoringinstitute.org. And visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America, including a case study on Evolve Technologies, where you can read more about Noreen and see some pictures of her shop. 
Thank you again and have a great day. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.